Hey, this Realm of the Mist podcast is brought to you proudly by the Nurses Guild. Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory. Ha 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 ha. started hey what's up guys welcome to breaking the fourth wall i am christopher stolly and again i get to sit here with some we consider a legend i'm actually flabbergasted because i've grown up watching this gentleman basically be bottom square if i'm not mistaken <laughs> on, on the uh, hollywood square yeah. but uh, as i've combed his imdb i've discovered that this man's had a hand in a lot of things that i've watched or seen in so many years growing up Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the incomparable, Bruce Valanche. Bruce, how you doing today? Well, I, I was never a bottom. Thank you very much. Uh, I was, am am uh, I thinking I, wrong? I, I thought you were that, bottom square. I was always to the left of Whoopi, if that's possible. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was to her right. It was camera left, we call it in the biz. Okay. But if, you know, if you were looking at the screen, I was to her left. Uh, but that, so I was, I was always up there. Uh, no, they never put me, <laughs> they kept me next to her because they thought I could tame her. But oh, yeah. It's undoable. Yeah, I was and, about uh, to say, I've seen the view. You failed. I mean, <laughs> and, and then, uh, thank you. For, I've had my hand in a lot of stuff. So the, <laughs> there you go. Well, that, that's I it. I suppose I was... if you put your hand in enough things, you become legendary. Well, but I mean, it's not helping Ron Jeremy. He's going to go up for 330 years. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, like as an example, I know I knew you were part of the Star Wars holiday special. I'm a Star Wars fanatic, so yeah. I knew about that. But I mean, Donnie and Marie, John Ritter being a sound mind and body, you know, yeah. all the all the different Emmys and and Oscar you, you have writing credits to, uh, you know, the Cheech Show. I'm I'm literally just oh kind my of God. You're going. You're digging deep. You're down in that the the. The things on the IMDb stuff that my agent says you could uh, delete those it makes you seem much older than you are. <laughs> but you know, I own it all. I mean, I mean, I don't literally own. It. I don't cash checks anymore, but I own it emotionally, and I've, I'm, I'm aware I was a part of all these things, and I'm happy to talk about them. But really, I mean, those are, those are really great uh, golden old golden oldie credits. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, 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 I smiled when I saw that you were part of the 25th birthday party of Sesame Street. And I thought my mother-in-law would absolutely love you for being involved with the Elvis Presley documentary. You know, but I mean, th this is only just your writing credentials. You've also, yeah. uh, which I found funny, and we, we, we definitely got to talk about this, as well as a lot of your appearances on where you're in front of the camera, you play you. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, or a variation thereof. I mean, uh, yeah, I've been cast as a cameo as myself because I'm an iconic individual. So they, it, it's a, it's a, an easy joke, which I don't mind at all. But uh, I mean, I've done you know, a bunch of acting. I did Hairspray on Broadway for a year and uh, toured it for a year before that. Uh, and uh, some other things, but mostly it's, I've been mostly writing. I mean, I'd never stopped the acting, but it was always the smallest kind of things. One of my favorite gigs, it's another drag thing, but uh, 
was um, on the Cheech show. Cheech had a show. It was a sitcom. Right. And uh, we only aired three of them because the Writers Guild went on strike. Oh. And the network canceled the show because we didn't have anything in the, in the pipeline to give them when we came back on the air. So, but, I, but in those three episodes, I played, uh, uh, Cheech was a guy, <laughs> he was a guy named Cheech who ran a, a chop shop in East LA. And somehow through these crazy imaginations that we wrote, he was always involved with some, some guest star who was very big. We had Willie Nelson and we had uh, Jack A, Jackie Harry, who was Jack A at the time. Uh, and, um, uh, and there was another one that we, that we did, didn't even get to shoot, but the, uh, uh, in, I was somebody who uh, came to him uh, for, with a car that was in trouble. And I was a, a gossip columnist named Luella Fellow. Okay. I was, I was, I think, we think I was a transgender. We weren't sure. We hadn't gotten that deep in the characterization, but I, I loved doing it because I had a beard. <laughs> so I was, I was a transgender with a hormone problem. Okay. And uh, I would have to go shop at the Forgotten Woman, which was this, uh, before there were plus sizes. This, there were like little tiny boutiques where, where big ladies went and drag queens. <laughs> And so I would have to go shop there. Anyway, Luella Fellow was a very funny character. And uh, had the show gone beyond the three episodes, who knows? You know, I might have, I might have, be, I might have had big bang money. Who knows? No, it's true. But yeah. That's one of the things. As a member of the Writers Guild, I can't criticize it too harshly, but it did lose me millions. <laughs> well, the big, the big thing I, I obviously got to do is like we got to, we got to take this back to, to where it all began. What? What made you want to get into the entertainment industry and why did it lead you more towards writing than, than uh, really being in front of the screen? It's a very, a very apropos question. I was, uh, I was always, uh, I was a child actor. I was, I was fascinated. I mean, I made faces and I danced around and my parents were very enabling. Uh, they said, they saw I was happy doing that. So they, they encouraged it. And they would take me to auditions. And I was a child actor. I was never a child star. Or we'd be having this conversation in rehab. <laughs> you know, but I did commercials. I grew up in Jersey. And so I would go into New York and I would do commercials. And I did a couple of stage things. And, um, but what happened was, I, as I got older, I developed a very deep voice. And I was a big kid. And I, <clears throat> I just looked older. I was like born 40. Okay. And so I found myself auditioning opposite people, guys who were really the real thing. And, you know, I was not going to get cast in kids' parts, and I wasn't going to get cast in adult parts. So I started writing about that. I think it was kind of a form of therapy. And my parents had just showed it to people, and they said, gee, he can write. So I began, they began encouraging that. And their plan was for me, well, they had several plans. They wanted me to be a lawyer because they thought I could perform in court. <laughs> you know, they took me to see lawyer movies, and uh, we were like Orson Welles would do orations. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that, but not in court. <laughs> and my father was a doctor, and he thought, you know, I'd maybe become a doctor. But the family joke was I had no patience. Yeah. So uh, eventually, they said, well, write for newspapers, because newspapers will never die. <laughs> <laughs> so, the first no. night. Uh, yeah, so uh, I started writing and I wrote for the school paper and then I went to, I went to uh, Ohio State where I was a theater major and a journalism major. 
And then, um, are you vaping? Oh, I hope you are. Yes, yes. Oh, good. I'm just, I thought, or, or I'll just smoking a doob quietly, which would not be bad either. <laughs> I went to Ohio State and I majored in both of them in, in, in theater and journalism and got a dual degree. Okay. And I uh, wound up at the Chicago Tribune and I met Bette Midler and started writing for her. And so I got to combine all of the things I liked. I got to continue performing and continue writing and continue being in show business while pretending I was a journalist for five years. Well, that, that's interesting because when you mentioned the journalism, even all the way back into the high school days where you were writing for the school paper, what were the type of things that you were writing? Were they, were they editorial or opinion pieces? Well, actually, or were they literally like, you know, I, cheerleaders? I was actually, in, in all my newspaper jobs, I was a reporter. Uh, and I was, uh, the, and sometimes I was a feature writer, uh, mostly uh, concentrating on the show business or I was um, an editor. I mean, I had to do all of those things at one point or another, but what it finally uh, shook out as was a feature writer for the trip covering show business and being kind of like a wipe up critic. Gene Siskel was the movie critic and I was the number two. So I would go to see movies he didn't want to see, like the world's greatest athletes. <laughs> J.M. Michael Vincent in a loincloth, which I very much wanted for the city. Ding. So, uh, that's that's how it went. Uh, uh, that was the kind of stuff I did. I was I was I guess I'd say showbiz journalist is one way of, of putting it, but uh, it it was you know my bent. It fed into what I was interested in, what I knew about. Well, then then it leads into your 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 com your writing and all that, and of course your com. Uh, when did the when did the writing go into the more comedy stages? Because I mean, some of the things that that I see here that are absolutely mind-blowing is that you are credited as a writer for like the comedy relief five which most I did all, the, all the comic reliefs all the comic reliefs there were about 12 of them i think but which uh, you know primarily are billy crystal Whoopi goldberg and of course the late great robin williams you're, you're talking about the kings of comedy of the day yeah. and you're writing for them <laughs> yeah, well, you know we were all like we all came up together I met, I met Billy in Chicago. I interviewed him for the trip. He was doing stand-up at the Playboy Club. <laughs> and I was sent to interview him. And then at the, a, a couple of weeks later, uh, I was out on the road with Barry Manilow, who was Beth's original piano player. And when he broke off from her, he went on his own. I went out and we put his act together. And he played a club in Philly, the Bijou, which okay. was the the big uh, club where all the, you know, everybody rock and roll and stuff uh, play, broke in. And Billy was the opening act with two other guys he had, an act called Three's Company. There were three kids from Long Island who had a comedy act. And I remember watching it, there was a, a the dressing room was upstairs and there was a balcony and you could lean over the balcony like, you know, Miss Kitty in Gunsmoke and look down at the saloon below. And we would watch the show and the three, Three's Company would come on and we'd watch him. And Barry and I would look and say, that guy's going to be a star. And then Billy was obviously like on the way. Right. And then uh, uh, that was actually before I interviewed him. The Playboy thing happened afterwards because at that point he broke off on his own. And so I started writing with him then. And I didn't write a lot for him until he got started hosting award shows. <laughs> he hosted the Grammys, he hosted the Oscars, and I, was, I contributed on, on, uh, on those. Okay. But, that, but you know, we all, I mean, it started with Bette. Uh, uh, for five years, I was in Chicago writing for her and, uh, and going on the road with her on the weekends. And then I would meet other people who would come in and say, oh, you can write for Bette Midler. I've heard about you. Would you write for me? So, I mean, she was, she was a great calling card. 
and you know, I'm still doing it 50 years, 50 years later. Was that, was that the target when you started writing that you wanted to get into more comedy uh, type? You know, I, I mean, it was what I liked. It was, it was, uh, I never had a plan. I mean, the plan was, uh, the plan had been shattered years ago. The plan was to be an actor, to go to New York and be an actor. And that didn't happen. So I figured I would, you know, I would get in it. Well, I looked at Woody Allen and Mel Brooks and I thought, well, they're funny and they've become movie stars. Mm-hmm. And they write their own stuff. And I said, maybe that's what I will do. But and the movie star part didn't happen because I, I never really pursued. I didn't want to be a stand up and I didn't know quite how to do it uh, otherwise. I mean, I, if I paid closer attention, I would have done, I don't know, maybe what, what Lily Tomlin, who I also write for, did, which was approach it as an actress and uh, when she got on a television show, she was lucky enough to get on Laugh-In and she got to do a lot of different characters. Right. And that became her act. When we put it together, that was her at her stage show. And, and that led to acting in movies and theater and whatnot. So anyway, I didn't do that, but you know, what I did worked out, so. <laughs> and then 20 years of, after 20 years of doing that, suddenly I was on television every night on <laughs> Hollywood Squares. And that makes you a famous person. And you get offered other kinds of things like hairspray and, you know. Well, we got to, so. we, we, we do got to talk about that. You, yeah, uh, I mean, you were credited that's on That's the shorthand IMDb. version of what happened. Uh, <laughs> on IMDb, you're credited with 415 episodes of Hollywood Squares. <laughs> well, probably that's true. Yeah. That is, I got to imagine that's some sort of record for anybody to appear on like a game show outside uh, of like the host. Well, you know, when you example. consider that, that, but you do in, you do five of them a day, you know. You come in and do a week in a day, and uh, so yes, uh, but I'm sure there are people who were on longer. I mean, uh, the original edition of Hollywood Squares was on NBC for 14 years. Right. Even Paul Lind was not there at the beginning. He came in somewhere in the middle of it and uh, and stayed to the end. By which time he was the star of the show. Uh, but then it was another iteration of it five years later with Joan Rivers. So. Um, you know, there are a lot of people. I mean, Tom Kennedy, who just died at 93, was a host of about 415 different game shows. So he, he's got a lot of credits. He, they're, they're shoving those credits <laughs> over him. Well, I, got, I definitely got to, I definitely got to ask with Hollywood Squares. And I, I remember like, you know, you had normal actors and you had people who were on normally. And, and then you would have uh, uh, Alf. Or the Muppets. Oh well, yes. Sure. So, with all those in mind, what were some of your favorite celebrity squares that worked alongside you on the Hollywood Squares? Well, Alpha and the Muppets were mainly because they were the, they were characters and they wanted jokes and they they, they wanted stuff to, to play and uh, they also uh, were not prone to moods. Even even Piggy was was charming the whole time because <laughs> basically that was Frank Oz who was doing Piggy and he's brilliant. And he, he just wanted jokes. Uh, and then he, would, he knew how to play them. So they were actually, uh, they, were, they were great fun. Um, the regulars on the show were terrific. Brad Garrett, Gilbert Gottfried, who's out of his mind. Caroline Ray, who's hysterical. And, I mean, those, were, those were great fun. And then, and then we had these weird guests. I mean, the, the thing about Squares was, uh, it wasn't like a high stakes game show. Right. You know, it was fun. And nobody knew what the real answers were because half of the time there were no real answers. I mean, when you, a question would start with 
According to Dr. Joyce Brothers, well, you knew there was no real answer because Joyce was an advice columnist and you didn't know what she said. <laughs> you had to make up that shit. Or, uh, yeah, or they would, they would say something that she may or may not have written and you would have to agree or disagree. And so obviously we were, it was not Jeopardy. <laughs> right. Uh, so we could have fun. That's how we could have people like Little Richard. You know, Little Richard arrived uh, and I used to, I was the head writer, and so I would go in and I would brief everybody on what they were doing. Because uh, we, would, we would do five shows in a day. So in the morning on Saturday and Sunday, I would go in and explain. And each one had a packet of questions that they were going to be asked. So they could play around with jokes or whatever. So they wouldn't be caught unawares. We didn't give them the real answer, when there, even when there were real answers. Because the contestants had to, to know that the... That, the stars didn't know the answers. Otherwise, they would just agree with everything. I agree with him. Right. You know, and there'd be no game. So, uh, but they also knew that a lot of the answers were like out of cloud cuckoo land. So I went into Little Richard with the cards and I sat down and he looked at me and he said, I don't know nothing. <laughs> You're going to tell me everything. I don't know nothing. And he wasn't kidding. I mean, you know, he was Little Richard. That was what he knew. He knew how to be Little Richard. He knew how to be a brilliant songwriter, piano player, singer, performer. But, and, and he obviously had created Little Richard. Right. But, uh, but he didn't have a whole lot of book learning. So, I mean, any of these things, and he didn't have a whole lot of opinions on stuff either. You know, he was just going through life being Little Richard. So that was one of my favorites because uh, uh, I said, you know, just, just, Every every question you ask, just answer like this. I don't know nothing. <laughs> and then whatever you say is okay, you know, because right. you were ready to. You warned them. You have no idea what you're talking about. Go ahead and do it. And he did that. And it was hysterical. It became a running gag in the show. And uh, and eventually, of course, we had a couple of questions, but but he had to know the answers, you know. So he would say, "Oh, I know that. I do know that." <laughs> Which was okay. I mean, it was it was. Uh, it could have been a bluff, you know. I mean, people right. used to come on and bluff, uh, and um, and and as a result, the the contestants would stop going to them unless they had to, you know, with tic tac toe. Right. So if you didn't have to go to that square, you would avoid it because you knew she was going to fuck with you. So you weren't going to. But Patty Labelle was very big on that. She Mess liked people. Fuck with yeah, and <laughs> I said, don't do that because. They won't call on you because they don't want to be fucked with. So you have to balance that. You can do it once, and then the next time they come, you have to be real. And then the next time, I mean, there's as insane as this sounds, there is a strategy to this. I mean, you know, it's it's not like winning the war in Libya, but I mean, there is a strategy to it. And uh, and gonna, uh, that was that was part of my job was to take these people when they came in at nine o'clock Saturday morning, and say. Uh, it's a very funny game, but there's an art to it. <laughs> well, see that that some some of the questions I was going to ask was uh, how predetermined were the questions or the responses to the questions, you know, and and it really blows my mind that that you guys all had like, for lack of a better term here, the script of all the questions that were going to be asked, so you you could come up with a way of coming up with a true. Yeah, well, we gave everybody we gave them a list with, with the questions they get if they were called by a, by a contestant and a bluff answer, which was, uh, you know, sounded like the real thing, but wasn't. And a joke, if we felt they could carry a, a joke, if they were the kind of person who could carry a joke. And um, 
so they so they knew so they had time to like figure out in between each game they would look to see what the questions were uh because uh you know at the beginning we tried it without that but it was like there were too many stage weights you know while while people decided what they could how they wanted to look they wanted to look like they knew what they were doing right so uh, uh well how many times payment show as i say it wasn't like you know there, there wasn't a hundred grand riding on this thing <laughs> well how many how many times how often did somebody go for lack of a better term here off script uh as an example like if, if you were asked a question that you knew damn right well what the answer was but you were looking at the contestants like i kind of want to mess with them and you just come up with something off the cuff uh it happened i mean i i probably was guilty of that or or i would make it easy because i wanted that person to win uh, because it was it was It'd be good for the show if he won or, or she won or it, it really depended on the moment it was one of those spot calls but yeah that happened and uh uh you can't help it some people you you know you you want to help and some people have an attitude and you go well maybe <laughs> i could mess around with this one but also sometimes you have to um uh you have to uh show that you're not like all knowing i mean it, again it wasn't that kind of a show it wasn't uh, you nobody it wasn't wasn't like quiz show right you know, where, where uh everybody they everybody was a, a a university professor i mean you know these are people in show business who were doing this so you could be wrong <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't know the real answers either i never knew uh i said don't don't send me don't tell me the real answer well, in, in this day and age where everything gets rebooted and revisited, I mean, uh, right now you can go on the Game Show Network and find brand new episodes of uh, Pressure Luck, for example, which was one of my favorite game shows mean, growing up. They're doing new, new, new stuff? New stuff. Ah. What would you do so, if they brought back Hollywood Squares? Would you well, uh, take any the feedback? First, <laughs> they'd have to get rid of the show that the original uh, owners sold to Viacom called Hip Hop Squares which you can find on VH1. You served your country with honor and now are trying to pry health care from the Veterans Administration. Did you know that Congress recently made changes to allow vets to get care outside of the VA services? The Nurses Guild of Florida is owned and operated by a Vietnam-era vet who knows how difficult it is to return to civilian life. Why not get your home health services from a five-star Medicare home health agency, the experts at home care, the Nurses Guild? Rather than wait in lines for care, the Nurses Guild will provide care to you in the comfort of your own home. PTSD, IV therapy, wound care, or post-amputation therapy, no matter your diagnosis, we can help. A nurse will be assigned to you, visit you at home to assess your needs, and work directly with you to develop a personalized plan of care. Here at the Nurses Guild, we have nurses from every specialty. So no matter your diagnosis, we have the right caregiver for you. The nurses, therapists, and home health team of the Nurses Guild is ready to serve you. All of our essential health care workers are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 for Broward County and 561-826-8937 for Palm Beach County. Remember, health care put off is health care too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask. Wash your hands frequently and stay home as much as possible. Which is Hollywood Squares with rappers because rappers are so funny.
Flavor Flav and everybody else. There you go. And I was amazed because I, I had tuned in and they are, they are using questions we wrote 20 years ago. And uh, they're using our set. They bought the set and they oh, bought... Wow. Yeah, so it looks like our old show and it... Uh, and and a lot of the, the questions are from the old show, and it which just kind of cracks me up. And I don't know how it's uh, it stayed on because it was on Nick Cannon was hosting it, and he quit after the first week. Oh wow! MTV and MTV moved it to MTV two, and uh, and then uh, Viacom moved it to VH one. I don't know, you know, in their in their wisdom, what the strategy was. But so until that plays out, they really can't reboot Hollywood Squares. But I think that um, the other thing is that all these game shows uh, that are showing up now, not necessarily on the game show network, because that's very small potatoes compared to uh, you know, network or syndication. Um, but shows like Match Game and uh, Card Sharks, and um, uh, there's another one that was that, that's on. Um, they, uh, they were never successful in their reiteration. They tried to reboot them before and they failed. I was on the reboot of Match Game, which is okay. Ricky Lake is the host. And I was on it with Betty White and uh, um, Kathy Griffin and I forget who, who all else, but it didn't work. And uh, I mean, Betty White was on it. It should have been a success right then and there. Well, Betty White was a success, <laughs> but it just it didn't take <laughs> for some reason. It was probably the time, you know, uh, then they then they brought it back with stuff. It's a hit, but that's partially because the match game people remember was off the, has been off, has been off the air a long time. Hollywood Squares has never been off the air a long time. I mean, because of the hip hop thing, I guess. But I mean, we have been off the air twenty years, so it, it could be ripe. But I have a I don't know. I have a just have a feeling that it. Uh, um, that, I don't know. It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Very cool. Well, I do know that uh, besides all the stuff of re that we're reminiscing and everything, you are still active. In fact, you have a uh, you have something coming up tomorrow, literally November third. Election, election night. Uh, I'm going to be on Stephen Colbert's Showtime special, his election, because uh, he's not on CBS tomorrow night because they're covering the election. So he moves over to Showtime, which is a Viacom CBS property. And uh, he does his, his own show. And he's going to have uh, one of those mammoth LED walls, his wall of experts, which okay. looks not unlike Hollywood Squares. And so of course, <laughs> there I am in, in the middle. Uh, and he's, I'm one of the experts he goes to. Now, uh, obviously, it's all canned. And right. obviously, they, they shot a lot of stuff, depending on how the night works out. If the night has got long, dreary, wait, we're waiting for Iowa kind of pauses, they, he will go to this wall. If, the, if it's a nail biter from the get-go, which it probably won't be, um, uh, he'll go, you, you know, he won't be able to go to the wall. But I'm guessing at the, in the early stages when there's not enough votes to make, to, to make a difference, uh, he'll go to the wall then. And I don't know how much of it will remain, but I did it. So if you may see me, you may see a snatch of me, pardon the expression, as I go by. Well, is, it, is, is your intention there to be, well, for lack of a better term, a witness? Or are you there for comedy I'm relief? A, or is uh, it an actual I'm expert? 
expertise. I'm an expert on something. We never really kind of made sure what. He asked me questions. <laughs> it's very Hollywood Squares-like, the whole okay. thing. And uh, you could do, you do kind of a joke answer. And then, uh, uh, and then he does. His answers are even jokier because, um, because nothing's real. You know, it's, it's all like, this is truly a time killer. Right. But, but it's very funny. I mean, the stuff that we did was funny. Which is, which is kind of funny and ironic, too, because uh, as I was setting up for this interview, I had YouTube on in the background, and I'm a huge Dungeons & Dragons fan. I love D&D. And I found where one of the people who do live streaming D&D, Matt Mercer, uh, sat down and did a one-off campaign with one Stephen Colbert. And I was actually listening wow. to it in the background as I was setting up for this interview today. <laughs> All right. I didn't know he was a gamer. Yeah, apparently he played D&D back in college and uh, did this for whatever reason he decided to do this. <laughs> I, would, I would think so. It was, I thought maybe I was, this was going to be like uh, gamers who always, always look at me and they go, you should do the Stewie Griffin story. <laughs> well were you a gamer a lot of family guy viewers among gamers i think when they're not gaming they're watching family guy so it's probably true are, were, peter, are, but, you know i i'd cut my hair and play peter i got the stomach for it i, I guess but i also have the stomach for stewie so you don't have the football helm you don't have the football shaped head though no but i i think your hat you know doesn't he always have a hat and <laughs> but uh were you a gamer are you are you a gamer no no, no. No, you know, I, I tell you, uh, not even a big mean game of checkers. Once, <laughs> once computers came in, uh, I was so busy using them to work, to write on and research and stuff that I just didn't want to do anything that would distract me from that. Okay. So I never got into game culture. And I never had the, obviously I never had the game machine, the, the, um, you know, the, the, the play box, whatever it's called, the, uh, uh, oh, PlayStation and all. Yeah. PlayStation. I never had any of those toys because uh, I was, you know, when I went to the keyboard, it was always like I'm going to work or I'm going to do correspondence or something like that. And then, of course, porn came along and <laughs> and the lockdown, and so there was a marriage made in heaven. Porn, lockdown. <laughs> Strong forearms. But especially <laughs> for those who aren't gamers. <laughs> well, the uh, the big question, I guess, then is, uh, what do you do with your, with your time off? I mean, with COVID, like you said, right now, and 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 all. Um, and I'm assuming you're still working, you're still writing, you're still yeah, producing right. things when this when this pandemic releases. But what does Bruce Valanche do when he's not writing? And and well, you know, you the nice thing about writing is you can do it without pants. And I've only worn pants four times since March 12th. <laughs> I've been in a lot. So uh, writing, writers can keep writing. I mean, we're very lucky in that we can keep doing it and getting paid for what we do. Actors are not so lucky. If nothing is shooting, uh, you know, and stage actors are particularly, because even though film uh, actors and television actors can come back because they have protocols in place now so they can actually shoot stuff, there's nothing in place for stage actors or for musicians who perform live any of that and that's going to be the last thing to come back because uh because those are all in intimate settings relatively intimate unless you're you know elton john and you play dodger stadium they're they're intimate settings and uh people are afraid to go until there's a vaccine and right. even after there's a vaccine there will be a shakeout period before you can get those things back on their feet 
so I'm very lucky because uh, uh, I can keep writing and, and you know have have a revenue stream. I could definitely agree with that. I, I uh, a couple interviews ago, I interviewed a, a, a not local to me, but like a local underground uh, alternative rock band called Lilac, and they had mentioned something to that that probably plays in just like you were saying, as far as like uh, unless you're like Elton John. Uh, besides the fact that like these bands can't have the crowds that they want, the crowds if the bands are performing live, the crowds aren't really getting 100% of the band either with things like uh, Lilac told me they tried to do a couple shows where everybody's pretty much in a plexiglass box and you can't really yeah. move around and do things as far as performance wise, which he, you know, they felt wasn't really fair to the fans that came out to see him. I was offered, there was a cabaret series in New York that was a, a fundraiser actually. And they wanted me to come in and do uh, my, my act, which is like, it's like stand up. I call it sit down because I tell stories about my, my life in show business and right. then do some political stuff up front. But, you know, they, ship, they sent me the, the uh, schemata and it was, uh, I'd be standing behind a plexiglass booth, you know, like, uh, like the man in the glass booth, spitting into the, <laughs> spitting <laughs> onto the, on the windshield. Right. And, uh, uh, and, I, and they would all be like in compartments. And, and I thought, well, no one's going to be comfortable for this because you, you come in feeling like you're taking your SATs. You're, right. you're at a desk and there's plastic. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, I, I wasn't going to fly to New York also. So um, uh, I declined and, and it didn't work out. They did one of them with somebody. And it was, it was just like too much work. And of course, because the crowd has to be socially distanced and small, in order to make any money, you have to charge them a fucking fortune. Right. So, so they were paying a lot of money to be very uncomfortable. It's <laughs> <laughs> not the key. Even if you're Hamilton, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get away with that. Hamilton may be the only thing that does get away with that. They do pay a lot of money and they're not terribly comfortable, but you know, they're not sitting in a plexiglass box with a mask and perhaps a shield. That is true. I actually, I prefer the shield over the mask, really, because at least then I can still kind of breathe. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't think the shield doesn't uh, doesn't do it. I mean, it's the shield and the mask. The shield is like for incoming, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I've read seven different theories on all this stuff, but it's easy enough to just stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with with this information superhighway and everything else, couldn't you do something similar to what you were supposed to do in New York? Uh, via like right now, like Zoom, you know. Oh, virtual. Oh, there's tons of virtual stuff. I think people are are, are well well sick of it at this point. There, there's a, there are virtual concerts every night, and basically, you know, uh, at the beginning it was all people sitting like you and I, uh, singing into a computer, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, that wears thin after not a very long time. And so then they've got, gotten more ambitious. I mean, Beth just did one for Hocus Pocus Halloween as a fundraiser that where they actually shot a lot of stuff. They used a lot of green screens, but they shot live people standing up in front of green screens and things like that. And they went outdoors and shot stuff. And of course, they had all the, the onset protocols that everybody has now in order to film anything. Uh, but, you know, still, you were sitting at home watching it at best on your big screen, if you were hooked into your big screen. 
final question I got to ask since we're on the, the topic of entertainment dealing with the coronavirus, when this pandemic finally goes the way of the dodo, when it's finally over, do yeah. you think the world, especially the world of entertainment, is going to have a, 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 the ability to return back to some semblance of normal, or is there going to be a, for lack of a better term here, new normal that has that will be part of the entertainment cycle as the best way i can describe it as an example it's like a lot of people are streaming movies as opposed to going to movie theaters right now yeah. do you think we'll return to movie theaters do you think we'll return to well i uh i think several things um it first is the vaccine and then if people feel better about going out generally they will stick a toe in the movie theater what the uh, studios have done is to push all of their big attractions back into next year and specifically like maybe spring at the earliest but summer um and they at the same time disney has pivoted to disney plus and they're putting a lot of the other stuff on disney plus to to keep the service going but their big pictures They've moved back. For example, I mean, Jungle Cruise with uh, with uh, Rock the Duane and uh, and Emily Blunt, and based on a ride at Disneyland, which was supposed to be a big summer picture this year, will be a big summer picture next year. And all the studios have done that. They had the experiment with the Chris Nolan picture, Tenet, which didn't do all that well, but it was a Chris Nolan picture, and it was weird, and it's not exactly the kind of crowd pleaser that that uh, some of the others would be. Right. So. I guess my point is when they put something in the theaters that people really want to see and people are comfortable enough going out because of the vaccine that they will go out, they will start going to the theaters and bit by bit, it will, it will come back. This is my hope. Uh, otherwise we will just, you know, sit and everything will be virtual. But you know, if you, if you, uh, I mean, the rituals of going out, the ritual of going to the theater and being in a, in a theater where everything is on a human scale and you are being related to in the, in the live moment, that can't be duplicated. And the ritual of going to the movies uh, and seeing, being in a dark room with strangers and seeing huge images in front of you, that cannot be duplicated. And there's a social function, you know. Uh, you're not going to get laid sitting on your couch. But, <laughs> you know, you can take a date to see a rom-com or something or uh, 50 shades of whatever, and everybody gets warmed up. And that's the ritual that people want to do. You want to be in a room full of people who are laughing at something funny. You want to be in a room full of people who are having the shit scared out of them by the doll in the attic. I mean, those are our societal rituals that I don't think are just going to go away. Uh, I think that they're going to want to come back. They're going to come crawling back like the characters in the movie. <laughs> so that's my high-minded view of what will happen. What's the first thing, what's the first entertainment social gathering you're going to go to when, when this is all over? What's the one thing wow, you're going to you know, the, Oscars, the Oscars has been pushed back to April 25th. So we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, they're planning it both ways, depending on... Uh, on what happens uh so it might be that or uh i don't know uh, uh you know i have no particular interest in i mean it's 
I don't care about being someplace for Thanksgiving or being someplace for, I never cared about that. Right. But that's, you know, uh, I don't have, my, I don't have family and, and uh, I have friends and if we, if they feel like putting it together, that's great. But other people tend to have to, have to do family things. Oh, I know. Uh, I got to go to a Thanksgiving dinner this year. <laughs> By hook or by crook, we're doing it. Okay. You know, it's like the whole thing is summed up. I was, years ago, I was writing on a show and we were, we were trying to nail down the story for an episode. And uh, it, was, it was just getting late. And finally, the, the, the head writer said, okay, let's finish. And we said, but we haven't done it. He said, I, I can't help it. I have to go home to my fucking loved ones. <laughs> Well, that is awesome. Bruce, this has been an... I wish it was my lot. It is now. (laughs) This has been an absolute honor and privilege. Uh, Guys, make sure you check in Bruce out tomorrow night on uh, Colbert's uh, special on Showtime, you said, correct? Showtime. Showtime. And uh, do we know what time that's that's airing? You know, I don't know. I would think uh, it would probably start when the poll, like 8 o'clock Eastern when the polls close. Hi. Uh, But it's not hard to, you know, just look on, just dial it up and see. And see, we don't have TV guys anymore. We can't just look it up. I know it's true, but you know, on the t- on your TV, sometimes it will say that. Or uh, true. Go to Showtime. Go to Showtime's website. It's all there. Absolutely. And of course, guys, if you enjoyed this episode in any capacity, hit that thumbs up button, like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great podcasts around the Miss Entertainment. If you prefer them in audio only format, just check them out on Anchor.fm, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. And of course, guys, I want to thank our sponsor, the Nurses Guild. If you have a loved one who is in need of at home nursing care, please give the Nurses uh, Guild a call. The description is uh, the information is in the description down below their website phone numbers you can reach them at great healthcare service affordable prices and helps out the veterans especially guys check out the nurses guild again bruce it's been an absolute honor and pleasure we definitely got to have you back on maybe after the cobert report (laughs) available there you go and we will catch you on the next breaking the fourth wall have a good night thank you